This is episode 128 of Corporate Lunch, and uh, Rachel's Prada invites just arrived. Actually, mine did as well, so our Prada invites arrived. This time around, it's in the form of a, a little enamel pin um, in a box. If, if anyone's wondering what, what the deal is, you could take it out and pin it to like your Jans, Jansport backpack. And then it's suddenly a Prada Jansport collaboration, one of one. I only got an evite, but I think I'm going to print it out and just slap it on, uh, you know, like a Nalgene or something. Yeah. And then it's a Prada Nalgene. I got to confess something that's sort of shameful for someone in my position, but I have no idea when fashion week is. I just invites start arriving and I'm like, oh, this is happening. And then I never know what's going to happen. Like who's going to have a little runway show, who's going to have a little presentation. Somebody might make a movie. These days, you never know what you're going to get. And um, thankfully, Rachel keeps on top of these things and can let us all know what the deal truly is. But to me, every time, it's it's like total surprise. Whoa! Keeps- Fashion Week! Go! Keeps changing, right? Yeah. Every season is a different time. I have to admit, though, I'm sort of like, I sort of miss last summer when no one knew what they were doing and everyone was making these like bizarre videos and some of them were really amazing and some of them were really bad, but everyone was sending you pastries. Yeah, there was <laughs> a lot of pastries. Just, it was like, okay, I got to get up at 6 a.m. and watch this Hermes show. And you got a little picnic basket. And you kept getting these like bizarre little, like, it was almost like Jonathan Anderson became everyone's Victorian child pen pal and was like sending us all like paper dolls and like, oh, I made a, I made a book with a letter artist. Yeah, it was, it is, it's kind of weird and maybe somewhat disconcerting that it's like, uh, I mean, fashion, the, the fashion world is so set in its ways. If you say, um, sorry, everybody, you can't have a fashion show this time no one knows what the fuck to do. There's like no other ideas. It's literally like pastries and music videos. That's a great concept though. Yeah. I mean, I like, we're all like so cynical, I guess, but my, one of my favorite art, uh, fashion adjacent characters, Dean Kissick wrote this piece at the end of last year that said the fashion world had done such a good job of experimenting with all these different ways to present work. And the art world was just like, here's an online viewing room. Yeah, and that really made me appreciate the past year even more, you know, because it was really, people have been like so creative over the past year. And it's kind of sad that um, everything's just going back to normal, it seems, especially sad because we can't travel outside of the US at the moment. Maybe that's yeah. really why it's sad to me. Yeah, well, I do think that, for all the creative new formats and experiences that we got to enjoy over the last year, I do think that like culturally, you know, fashion and fashion week didn't feel particularly relevant because what people pay attention to isn't so much like the slides on Vogue runway that drop after the show for people who are viewing from, from afar anyway, they're paying, they're paying attention to like the cultural moments that are happening around fashion week and what people are wearing and who's there and um what what you know they're they're getting like celebrity gossip and paparazzi photos and stuff from after parties and like a lot of people go to fashion week go to paris fashion week and don't go to any shows or maybe they go to one show but they're there for a whole week you know partying their faces off and getting fit pics off and like you you know linking up with other famous people and stuff like that right like i just feel like there's um the reason why the fashion world is 
going back, at, you know, as soon as possible to, you know, in-person runway shows is probably mostly for that in, or in order to sort of like foster this, um, you know, this like celebrity and social media phenomenon around like a lot of brand, like Prada tried to do a sort of virtual front row or they did do a virtual front row on zoom around, you know, their last two shows. Right. But I don't know if anyone really, you know, registered that in the same way that they register, you, you know, the front row to normal, like in-person Prada show, or you might have like Timothy Chalamet sitting next to Frank Ocean or something. I, you're totally right, Sam. I think the, the, the one thing though, that was nice about the past year in that regard was that it really became like for the real heads. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, so true. They're like, obviously like one of the great things about like there being these in-person Prada shows is like, as you're saying, these like strange appearances and link-ups and like, remember when Rocky went and like, he took a picture with Mrs. Prada and it was so cool because they had done all, you know, all these like collaborative pieces together for his tour the year before. But then that was replaced with like Raph and Mrs. Prada doing these interviews that like anybody could watch. And I just thought that was so amazing. Um, I presume that I think they're still they're still going to do that again this weekend because they're not doing an in-person show. But it, in a way, it was like without all of that noise, it, it was like fewer people were paying attention. But in a way, like the right people were paying attention, which is kind of was kind of cool. Yeah, but you also got to remember that the reason that all this happens at all is so that buyers, wholesale buyers can go to these shows and then more importantly, go to the appointments that happen later to place their orders. And this is like how business is done. And uh, I think to some extent that's been maybe not totally seamless, but like businesses, like there's a lot of backend stuff that we don't see that goes, that is the, uh, the uh, ordering, all the operations related to like these orders and, and how the actual business of selling clothes is able to continue. But I still think, you know, so we call fashion week, fashion week, but plenty of brands think of it as what's called market week, which is the same thing. It's just the, it's just looking at it from another perspective. So I do think that getting- It's not quite as sexy. No. Market and, week. Uh, it can be sexy because there's a rumor there's this rumor that the the Prada buying room is mic'd. <laughs> I've heard that before. No. And that like there's a I don't know if this is true. I have no idea, but I've just heard this from multiple people that it's mic'd and that a team of people will sort of like sit in the back and listen to the buyers from like various stores talk about like, well, this isn't really a strong piece or like this is really gonna sell well. Brilliant. So that's pretty spicy. So what's on the doc? What's on the the schedule, Rachel? Other than Prada, which will happen um, as part of Milan Men's Fashion Week, which starts I don't know in a week or two. Yeah. Well, there will be an in-person Armani show. He was cool. the first designer to pivot away from doing in-person shows. His he showed his his collection. He was like one of the last people to show when the pandemic was started. And he decided to do a video show with no audience. Um, and now he's back to doing an in-person show. Um, I, I, what I, from what I understand, Jonathan Anderson is not, again, not doing any kind of particular show, but rather like we'll be sending us more Victorian child pen pal mail. 
but the big things will still be, I think, like Dior and Vuitton and Prada. Yeah. yeah. And is PTO Uomo happening? It is, yeah. But it's the last thing this year. So what are you looking forward to? Not just like what are the biggest things, but what are like the exciting things? Collections or not? Frankly, I'm like the only thing I'm really excited about right now is the Balenciaga Couture debut that's happening in July. Right. That's going to include men's. Yeah. Right? What does that mean? Well, people have been doing men's couture for that's been a thing for a while. Right. That's like, I feel like that's kind of the big wave in menswear right now, actually, is like this ostentatious made to order clothing. But who are the, who are like the current kings of men's couture? Like, like if you, like if I think about couture for men, I'm thinking about like D&G Ultra Sartoria, Sartorio, mm -hmm. which is Dolce & Gabbana's like insanely expensive custom um, couture offering for men. That's a lot of suits and like bejeweled coats and, you know, insane like priestly frocks and stuff like that. Um, but no one's really doing, I mean, we don't know what Balenciaga couture for men will look like, but I, I don't, it doesn't strike like, there's, you know, like Daniel Lee is not doing couture at, you know, uh, Bottega or whatever. Like it feels like there's Balenciaga's filling a, a sort of niche for like more esoteric, interesting and maybe sort of even like streetwear leaning garments that um, men can't really get elsewhere custom. But people consider like a lot of the, what's in the Dior collection or um, Givenchy or. Um, well, Valentino does, does men's yeah. couture. Like they, they, that there was a thing they just started last season, but mm. you can go in and a Vendeuse will pack you down and measure you up. I mean, it's just so. We need to do a story. We need to do a story where Noah gets a couture suit. Yeah, I'm ready. Can't be Sam because he'll enjoy it too much. Yeah, oh, I'm so ready. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you need to measure my fingertip to the floor. Great. Yeah. That sounds cool. What no, color gems would you like? like? His shoulder, his like left shoulder is is half a centimeter lower than his right shoulder or something. Because I just want to bedazzle my lapels. Savoir fair. I, I mean, D, Dolce did that ultra Sartoria show in New York once and I went um, and it was crazy. I mean, there's just, it's just a different, I don't remember if we ever talked about it, but it's, it's a kind of a fashion show, but all of the people in the front row are clients and they sit there with the iPad um, noting the looks they want. And then they, they go back immediately after and basically are fit for those looks to order them. Mm -hmm. And it's so, I mean, it's to the point where like when the designers come out to take their bow after the show, they come and walk up and down the front row and shake hands with all the clients because they basically know them on like a first name basis, I suppose, because these are really people who have the wealth and power to like keep their business afloat to some extent. Or, yeah. I mean, obviously it's an important part of the business, you know, these companies see this as like a huge opportunity. And you're talking about like an $80,000 suit. Um, well, and I think also like as, as the idea of like, and I mean this in a pre pandemic way, but I think it still holds true. Like 
as the idea of like going to an event sort of changes where like the whole purpose of an event is just to like take photographs. It's, it's like less about being in the moment, but to like document an experience, then like having a really crazy outfit that you spend six months creating with a designer makes that experience like more valuable, I think. Yeah. You can really see why that would be appealing to someone who's really wealthy. Like Noah. Like me. That's such an old, that's such, a, that's such an amazing um, GQ story concept that we used to do like fairly frequently, but like back in the day, like before any, before any of us worked at GQ, but like don't do anymore at all, which is like send someone who's like, you know, who, who would feel uncomfortable in, in a certain type of clothing to just like get fit and custom, like just like to get totally decked out in like a Tom Brown suit or like Michael Patternity going to like Brunello Cuccinelli's, you know, uh, mountain home to get like yeah. decked out in like the full like Cuccinelli drip. And then like, and then the story is really about like how it makes you feel and how it makes you move through the world differently. And so Noah could be like, I have, I now have this $80,000 Dolce Ultra Sartorio um, suit and it makes me want to kill myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say like, actually the Sam, maybe the modern version of that with Noah would be that like, we force him to wear something that he like, just doesn't want to wear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think that the opulent suit is quite the thing. I could think of plenty of uh, other things that would be more upsetting, but. Um... Like an opera coat. You should, well, I'm not saying you don't want it. Like you, you should wear an opera coat, not an opulent suit. You should have mm. like a big, beautiful opera coat with like those giant Balenciaga shoulders. Mm. I don't know. All these things sound pretty appealing to me, to be honest. Yeah. But, but I think if we were to do something that's like <clears throat> what Noah doesn't want to wear, I mean, we probably can't say on the podcast what that would be. But we'll yeah. leave our listeners at home. Yeah. They can imagine what that might be. Yeah, I love this idea. And you should DM Sam Hines some of your guesses and then we can like debate them internally and report back. Yeah, we can't go there. Come on. But, you know, Couture is about fantasy. And so we're giving our listeners <clears throat> the fantasy of what Noah does hate. Sam, aren't you going to Paris tomorrow? You want to talk about that? I'm going to Paris in like seven hours, yeah. Oh shit. Jeez. I think we should talk about it. I think we should talk about it while I'm when I'm when I get there. Because right. I will be packing my microphone and my AirPods and ready to podcast um from Paris. I don't really know what the what the vibe is gonna be like. I'll be there during men's fashion week. I'm going on a more personal basis, but um there will be shows <laughs> happening while I'm sorry. To visit the kids store. Exactly. Um Ronnie Kit called and a- said. He, he said that he needed me over there um, ASAP to help him merchandise the cereal aisle. And um, I'm, I hopped on the next, uh, the next flight. <laughs> the cereal uh, aisle. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Kith has, a, has Kith always had a store in Paris? No, yeah, it just opened. Oh. I actually didn't know that. But, you know, I'm going to be there. There's the Sadels in it, or however you say that. Bring you the, ta- the bagel tower. Oh, the major food restaurant. Yeah. I can, I can go to Paris and basically only experience like Mulberry Street to like West Broadway. Do you feel like in a certain way, like Paris kind of just turned into Nolita? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. I still really want to go to Paris. I miss going to Europe. Just go to Nolita. No, it's not the same. Okay. You can't like sit in like a little, those like cafe seats where you can sit and 
have a coffee and smoke a cigarette and like you do that at ald <laughs> yeah all right <laughs> yeah i know but i'm sure there'll be much to report from um from the kiss store um mm-hmm. you know what else is in what are, what are some other good stores in paris that um we all know and love you know what you know what i've been thinking about and wanting to do since um, we talked about it on an episode was um go by vintage or mez scarves yeah at, um at the flea market yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna go like I'm gonna re-listen to that um, episode on the plane. Those you you can find a lot of vintage Hermes scarves around the flea market, but there's one store that like practically specializes in them, and they're all like on hangers and plastic, and um, they're pretty expensive, but their collection is just crazy. And there's like a ton of like basically like couture fashion in there as well, like just gowns, and it's just really like it's a little store in the flea market. It's pretty famous. People probably know it, but I'll have to send you there. And then, and then you can just hunt around. And I bought one there that had like a little cigarette hole burned into it. And I was like, this is kind of a sick little, uh, you can cinch it through the cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. Patina, (laughs) the cigarette patina. I'm excited to go to the, uh, the husband's store as well check out their like groovy french new wave suits i think it's time to buy a new suit probably and then i want to link with um friend of the pod gautier borsarello the the vintage king of paris and um and, and now the new uh creative director of day for sac yeah what's up brand. with that brand because i don't think they're sold outside of france right no, I don't think they're, I, I, you might be able to buy it. Like, you, you know, they might ship to the U.S., but oh, right. they don't have much of a, it's a very domestic French brand, I would say. Um, he's posted it. He's like teased a few like prototypes and samples on the gram and it looks quite sick, but I don't really know anything about it. I think it'd be great if it just like remains one of those brands that you kind of have to go to Paris for, you know? Oh, yeah. It's like, cool, like, yeah. Like stuff that you like leave a little space in your, in your you know, in your checked bag. Or just knowing that you're like going to hit the different sex store and like go ham, you know, like twice a year. So I'm going to do the Dries store too, because you know, they have special things there that they don't have over here. Yeah. And I think I might be there during um, the, the biannual like French government mandated sale period, oh, yeah, um, which could be pretty tight. So I'll have a full retail report for you guys um, in the coming weeks. It seems to me one purpose that Fashion Week really serves, and Sam, you hinted at this earlier, uh, like sort of because it's based on the spectacle around Fashion Week, um, is the question of like, what are people wearing now? Because, you know, you get the global fashion elite all in one area, and then you get the fans of the global fashion elite also to some extent finding themselves in that area. And then what and then you you get to go to multiple cities right so you're not just seeing paris but you're seeing milan london new york to some extent and then you get to compare because all this content you know will be awash in the content that results and so then the question is like what are people wearing and the question that everyone really wants to know is like what clothes are cool right now and then what some um lesser some inferior fashion journalists inferior to the corporate lunch crew will do is um, start to try to identify trends and stuff them down your throat. Um, but we're here to tell you, actually, we're not here, but 
what the what we're being told now, and at which I think we agree with, is that trends are dead. You can't spell trend without end. So that there's something that that we all have to contend with. I don't know. It doesn't necessarily come as a surprise to me, but you actually bring up an interesting point, which I hadn't fully considered, which is that so part of what, but in part, what we're responding to more immediately, in addition to a sort of feeling that we've all been having over for a, a period of time now, for me at least, like several months. I can't speak for you guys, but we're also responding more immediately to this like New York Times piece about how there are like no fashion rules anymore and you can wear whatever you want. This is also something that Mobilaji talks about a lot. Like I remember in our, when we had like an internal trend meeting, he was like, this is crazy. There are no trends. It's all about personal style. Yeah. Um, but Noah, you bring up a really good point, which is that we haven't had street style for over a year. And so maybe the reason why we think there are no trends anymore is because we don't have the evidence or the data to indicate what those trends would be. Yeah, I certainly think that's part of it. I also think it's um, it's a little bit, it's sort of the unsatisfying answer, which is that the trend is uh, what we call personal style, which means in order to participate in the trend, you have to figure out how to do a little something that you might think no one else will do, even though the truth is lots of other people are doing the exact same thing, but still. Well, so there's a lot of like interesting pieces to this, right? Like there's the question of what clothes are cool right now, which um, I guess it, the basic version of thinking that is like, what's the, uh, you have to like create these categories, right? Like what's the jeans trend right now? Cause that's one, that's like the most famous type of trend that has like the widest reach and people debate the most. Is it skinny jeans? Is it boot cut jeans? Is it fucking low rise jeans? Whatever. It's like a thing that everyone wants to point to and be people really want that one category to be like super definitive. And that's like some good evidence that there are no trends right now because there isn't a particular style of jeans that is the dominant trend, right? Like there's not like the cool jeans to wear. I mean, there's things that we think are cool, but even within that, there's quite a range. But there's also not like, like if you look at certain like if you look at Instagram ads, for example, you can generally sort of suss out trends from that. Like that's sort of one way that I usually figure out, or like I go, I'll go on like Zara's website mm-hmm, right. and I'll look at like their menswear offering or their women's wear offering and see like, okay, like I know they're copying these things, but, but like also more generally, they're creating a lot of shirts that are in this shape or they're creating a lot of jeans that are in this shape or whatever. When you look at those things that are very trend driven sorts of brands that are almost like algorithmically generating clothing, there is no consistency in what any of them are putting out. Right. Aren't those brands just sort of knocking off things that designers are doing? For a long time, yes. But now I feel like they're operating in this like separate ecosystem of Well, they're probably, or maybe they're responding more to like TikTok than they are like runways. Um, And maybe there's like, Maybe there's like a triangle there. Yeah. What is TikTok's role in all this, Rachel? I know you, you said something interesting yesterday, which is that people who look at TikTok for to divine like what you know Gen Z, what the Gen Z sort of fashion trends are, are, are almost fooling themselves in a way because if you're looking for a trend on TikTok, the algorithm, the more you start looking for it, the more the algorithm will show it to you. But in reality, the the, the sort of constellation of trends on TikTok is 
just absolutely enormous because of just how vast the platform is and how many like weird niche interests really pop off on it, right? Yeah, I mean, it is really interesting, like no matter what kind of fashion you want to find on TikTok, you can find it. You know, there's like mm -hmm. people who dress like, um, like goths. There are people who copy Gucci. There are people who are like obsessed with e-boys. There are people who are dressing like academics. Like there's, there are all of these like subcultures that, and none of them dominates, you know, like they're all sort of these like niches that people retreat into. And I think that's the thing right now is like, and this is to your point, Noah, about like this itself is a trend. It's like, it's cooler right now to say like, okay, I'm going to decide I'm really into dressing like an academic or like an intellectual. And you find your sort of like peers online who are also interested in that. And you research and explore that and try to push it to the furthest possible, you know, end um, rather than saying like, oh, okay, we all want to, you know, sort of copy ASAP Rocky's like Gucci babushka or whatever. Right. I was just going to make a very basic observation or we were, when we were like planning this conversation, our pre-pod meeting, I was like, well, I don't know. Uh, it, shit seems very trendy to me. Like when I go to Brooklyn where the kids are, every dude looks like a podcaster. Every dude is in Patagonia baggies, the short ones, uh, penny loafers and like a camp shirt or a tie dyed sort of online ceramics type graphic shirt and a bucket hat and so on. And I'm like, these are, these are like the, it's summer. And I feel like the menswear sort of summer trends are out there as strong as ever. But then Sam Hine pointed out rightfully, I think, yeah, but those are just basic bros, <laughs> which is like, I guess uh, I wasn't making that distinction necessarily. I was kind of thinking of trends as the things that affect the masses, but I think maybe this article, this particular story and like the more interesting discussion is like the, the nucleus of trends and like the trends that, that you can identify that emerge that like take hold last for, and, and like have implications. They have a tail and they kind of are really clear and identifiable, not just like an assemblage of the cool hype pieces that dudes that hang out in Nolita too much want to wear. Well, Noah, that's such an interesting point because it makes me wonder if like, okay, like if, if people look at street style from now, like 10 years from now, will there be a like 2021 style, right? And is that, I guess what you're saying is that there is, and I agree with that, but that to me is like, that seems like the default or like, as Sam said, the basic dude, mm -hmm. but is that, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe I'm like splitting hairs, but to me, there's a difference between that and a trend. Yeah, I think there is. Yeah, I think you're and, right. And I, and I think that like, those are people like, it's almost like a core, like hash uh, n dash core, right? Like, core. Yeah. The, it's a pod core style dress. Right. Nolita core. Yeah. I think the way, way Nolita core as you're describing it is like the child of norm core, but it's like diffused and gotten less definable and probably, and, and also a lot less interesting. It's also like e-com core. 
Like when I see those dudes, I'm like, oh, here's a guy who shops online a lot. <laughs> but what is it? But why well, I think I think yeah, that's amazing. Wow. I think Rachel's totally right that that's like that that's more of like it's more of a baseline than a trend or or anything or like a subculture because I think you can buy all that stuff at like Urban Outfitters now. That's right. Yeah. You know, in the in when I was in high school, Urban Outfitters sold like band tees and skinny jeans and you know little cute plimsoll sneakers, and now they sell loafers and short you know, nylon shorts and camp collared, you know, uh, button down shirts and bucket hats and, you know, pearl necklaces and the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. I went into um, Urban Outfitters like maybe a week or two ago and I had a similar experience like clocking that they, you know, they put together these like, it was knockoff Patagonia baggies and like a graphic t-shirt and loafers, like that was readily available. But it is also funny that like, yeah, when I, I guess like when I was in high school, the idea was to look somewhat alternative. And I think that's still kind of the idea, but there is this, maybe this sense that like somehow alternative cultures become super mainstream. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't really alternative because I do remember in high school, like going into Urban Outfitters and like the only punk band t-shirts they had were the Ramones. And I was like, this is like, this ain't it. Yeah, it's for people that would never listen to the Ramones. This is one of those pot. This is one of those episodes of the podcast where someone's going to leave an Apple comment that's like, "Rachel and Sam sound like such East Coast elite assholes." <laughs> I mean, it's not our fault that alternative culture has been, you know, packaged and resold to you know the mainstream, uh, you know, for the last twenty years. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I. To me, like the big storyline of, of pop culture and like entertainment and art of the last 15 years has been like the death of the underground and the, uh, the, the rise of the confluence of like mainstream and cool. And uh, it's all very disturbing to me. And I think maybe some of that is coming out in the wash right now in what people wear, you know, like, um, when you start to eliminate or suppress subcultures because they don't have the type of social traction that uh, is needed for something to be relevant, uh, you you limit you know style. You're putting a governor on style. You're you're, and I sort of think that's that's where we're at. You know what I mean? Like Olivia Rodrigo is the coolest thing on the planet. She does like really earnest and dry, soulless kind of grunge rock. All the people that love her probably dress the same in a way that think they they is meant to somehow emulate what maybe would once have been called alternative, but is quite frankly just a boring and watered down mainstream facsimile of that. And that's just truly sad, which is why. I, from now on, will only be wearing couture suits. It's the only way out of this. <laughs> I think that, um, I was thinking about this the other day, that that Fashion Week got kicked off with a very post-trend collection, which was the Ferrari uh, fashion line that um, was unveiled a couple of days ago in Marinello. Because I think one, if, 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 you, if you were going to point at, any, at anything and say like, oh, this is, this is actually a trend that's been sort of like bubbling up for the past year or so. I do think this sort of like 
vintagey, like racing moto inspired stuff has been sort of percolating a little bit. Like you see guys like wearing Pirelli hats around and Rude has really leaned into this. I, I think that, I think like Rude is a good example of a brand that is capitalizing on a trend that, that does feel kind of real, at least as real as a trend can feel these days. And then, you know, the Ferrari collection, which, you know, Ferrari has a, a long history of, uh, of, of sort of like fomenting this very stylish, like internal subculture of drivers. And it's, you know, they sell expensive cars to fancy rich people. Um, obviously like they're, they're the licensed, you know, when you think of Ferrari clothing, you think of like polyester polos in the airport gift shop, probably more recently, but, um, but then the collection is like, it doesn't, it didn't feel like it referenced like any, any, any like real like history or like any part of this trend at all. It felt like totally futuristic and, and sort of completely like, like if you were looking at it and, th and trying to like come up with like, even like the most sort of like perfunctory, like trend report, like, oh, these are like the three things that you should like take away from the Ferrari collection. Like I couldn't even begin to tell you like what those things would be, you Who know, designs like the it? don't they have a designer creative director? I think it's the Armani designer. It's oh, really that's right. Rock Ianone. I'm not necessarily saying this as in like this was bad or this is good that the collection looked like this, but it it felt profoundly like not at all in conversation with like anything that's happening. But was it good? Like, do, does it have potential? I mean, it it does seem to me somehow that like a Ferrari fashion brand if done the right way, it could be huge globally. For those of you who have seen the Ferrari collection, do you think it has the potential to be a globally successful brand? Or is this just kind of like a fancy, like them knowing that they have all this name recognition, they could probably sell some really expensive pants to rich guys for a little while. Well, I think the idea is that um, they want people who maybe can't buy a $300,000 car to be able to walk into a Ferrari dealership or store and, and leave with something. I don't know what the audience, what the audience like really is for something like for an experience like that though. It would be kind of embarrassing to like get, like walk out of your house wearing your Ferrari pants and then get into your Kia and drive it to work. It could and probably will be huge. I mean, but I don't know the, like, I don't think it's the, just like they can sell anything with Ferrari, Ferrari on it, but Ferrari is like, I mean, that has, that name means something that like, probably only like Chanel and Louis Vuitton mean to people yeah. like that. Yeah. It's huge. It's, it's totally almost like immeasurable. Yeah. Yeah. It has like Apple level brand recognition. I guess the challenge is that like, if your brand is like part of the, if your brand is regarded at a level where people say like something else is the Ferrari of something else, it's going to be really hard to like, you have to make the Ferrari of clothing. Yeah, no. true. It would be cool though if it was just like Old Navy, you know? Yeah. Just like fucking just turn it out. So this article proposes like several kind of like theories or ideas that kind of build this argument that trends are dead. Um, one of them is obviously the pandemic, the issue of the pandemic. We haven't sort of makes this kind of funny argument that because we haven't no one cares about getting dressed anymore because of something to do with the pandemic, which I didn't quite, I don't, I don't really buy that. And then there was one I thought was really funny, which is, I'm just going to read this line, the planned obsolescence of clothes already out of favor. Thanks to the rise of sustainable fashion 
has melted away and in its place, something truly freaky has come to pass. Uh, fashion has become non-prescriptive. It's, it's, it's funny, this idea that sustainable fashion has, has led to the rise of the obsolescence of clothes. It's like the opposite. It's the opposite. (laughs) I just thought that was a really strange angle to throw in here. Um, that I don't, I didn't really think was, is all that relevant. Although I do think fashion has become non-prescriptive. I just don't think like sustainability has much of anything to do with it. Um, it struck me reading the article that there's a factor in the sort of death of trends that, you know, wasn't really touched on, which is probably, which to me is the rise of the resale economy. Like it's fast, it's easier and easier to, um, you know, try different things, cycle through, um, you know, yeah. cycle from one trend to the next, buy something and uh, wear it for a month and then sort of, you know, move along and buy something else. And I just wonder, I, I just think that that might be, there might be something there about, um, you know, why things don't seem to stick as much and why things and why, and why also like aesthetic movements and fashion seem to move so quickly because people are actually just getting their hands on more and more garments than they you know, ever would have been able to before with their budget because of how easy it is to, you know, pop something up on Grailed and get rid of it if you don't want it anymore. That's a super good point. I always thought it was funny, uh, friend of the pod, Evan Canori, um, hates like reselling marketplaces and gets upset when his clothes are on there too much. And I'm always like, dude, you're just being greedy. You're just mad because you want people to buy new clothes from you and not buy your clothes at a markdown used from somebody else. But I think that's not the case at all. I think what he's upset about is this, that it accelerates sales of his clothes and, 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 and then people just turn around and, and sell them really quickly after. So it's not a true, like his market somehow, his customer base somehow, is it not everyone is buying the clothes because they love them and want them and want to wear them, you know, forever. Um, Obviously, he's happy to make more sales, I'm sure. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's not. But um, I think, Sam, what you've identified is is very true and very real. But you would think that somehow that would also lead to the creation of certain trends, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, could, it, could, it could do that too, right? Because it's if as soon as a trend pops off, you could, it's easier for anyone to sort of participate in it because presumably that, you know, some identifiable, like, element of that trend is is so much is 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 easily available on grailed or the real real or whatever but i think it just happens so i think these platforms just enable to happen so fast that it it, like like the cycle just goes so quickly now that like trends come and go i think part of the post-trend argument in this article is not i don't think that there are no trends but that trends like live and die so quickly the life cycle is so short that nothing sticks and it doesn't feel like there's any pressure to adhere to any of these trends because as soon as you get sort of interested in one, it's gone, you know, the next day, basically. Yeah. You see something else. The problem with, with the kind of like secondary market trend stuff is that the people who are, I don't want to say controlling, but like determining the secondary market and like, pricing things are all reading like what we're doing. So like when we write about Evan Knorri, people on Grailed start pricing their Evan Knorri higher. Yeah. Or like, and like the real, real like reads everything that we're all writing. It looks at social media trends and like search trends. And so like when people start 
talking about how cool Gautier is on Instagram, the real real is like, okay, it's time to like source out more Gautier, yeah. price it higher and like position it differently on our site. Yeah. I was very flattered once to discover that there's, um, I have this needles mohair cardigan that has a sort of like psychedelic print on it. And someone listed one on Grailed for $3,000. <laughs> was there a picture of you wearing it in the post? No. As seen on Sam High. But it was listed as like ultimate Grail needles cardigan, 3000 which is funny because also the next season, Mr. Porter like reissued that exact version in two different colors for like 300 bucks. I was just going to say, I do think it's worth like having some awareness. Like I think the, the, the death of trends is essentially is like good for everyone. I think it's like one of the better like states that style can be in. Um, even if it doesn't always like feel so great, but I think it's genuinely and generally a good thing, but I do think it's worth acknowledging that it, it doesn't, that doesn't mean that it hasn't been contrived. Like it doesn't mean that it isn't also the result of like machinations of the fashion industry or creative directors or magazine editors. I mean, when we started GQ style, like five years ago, we kind of made a decision to approach things in this way, partly with Mobilaji's help, partly as a response to the way things were, but we just felt like, well, we're not interested in prescriptive fashion. We're not interested in being told what to wear, or how to wear it. We just want to just like explore this like cool and exciting and interesting world of style and like talk about and look at stuff that we really dig and, and not use language or framing or like editorial devices that like organize and create trends. And I think while we were doing that, a lot of other people were having the same kind of thoughts and conversations in really different ways. You know, I think like Demna probably got to Balenciaga around that time and thought sort of some similar version of that. And um, so you just have to consider that like the trickle down effect is still, it doesn't mean that effect is gone. It's still there and it may still be having its intended effect, which is to uh, annihilate all trends and, and drive us crazy and leave us fucking mad and uh, shop and buy more to try to fill the void in our souls that exists, uh, that's just becoming more and more difficult to fill with a perfect trend-shaped object. What do you think about that? Well, on that high note. Well, I, I feel like everything I've said, I, I wasn't even trying to like recover for being super negative when I was like, this is a good moment. Like, I think everyone dresses extremely cool now for the most part. And like, there's tons of like really dope opportunity to dress cool. I did, yeah, and I'm not, I don't, I, I said a lot of cynical shit, but I, I think I sort of like, I like the, the cynicism I'm pointing out. I actually like, I'm, I find it thrilling. <laughs> I think we live in like, the, to me, I'm like, this is a golden period of style. Yeah. I believe that too. And the only thing you can count on is what we say is cool. That's all you need to worry about. Yeah. That's a very good Just point. Just remember Sam. that corporate lunch is now the ultimate arbiter of taste and authority in the fashion world in this post-trend world. Keep it locked. Yeah, the truth is people are afraid of trends and they're frankly not smart enough to handle them, but we are. The real trends are the friends you meet along the way. All right, episode 128 of Corporate Lunch, an absolute joy uh, to spend this, this hour with, with the two of you and all of our fans and listeners and haters as well. So we're going to do our best to stay on the air uh, through the summer, through, through our travels and deadlines and all that. 
Um, why don't you DM Sam Hine and let him know what you want us to talk about this summer and uh, we'll see what we can do and keep listening. Tell a friend, write a review, subscribe, make this buy part hat. of, buy a hat. Um, make you know, that. Next, yeah. Are there still hats? I think there's a couple left. Yeah. Uh, I think we should. Yeah. We got to start talking merch. Yeah. We got a lot. We got a lot to do. Um, so let's get to it and we'll see you guys episode 129 at some point in the future. 